It's Wednesday, September 9th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker. Good to see you. Good to see you. Well, we're both back. We're both back. Me from California, you from London. How was London? It was good. Successful. We were just talking before we started taping about uh, things we've seen on TV that we were sort of amazed. Um, darts came up in conversation. Our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd, once upon a time, something of a, a shark when it comes to darts. Not even once upon a time, I'm betting. Yeah. Still. Probably still. By U.S. standards, right? Yes. Because, yeah, I mean, you take that to England, and you're, you're moving into the pro leagues there, where it's just taken more seriously than here. Well, that's the thing that I was about to say, was that the first, I was in Ireland, and this was many years ago, and uh, on the television- You're from Ireland. <laughs> my people are. Uh, turned on the television, came across darts. I had never seen that on television before, and I was just- I just sort of stared at it for a while, and one of my thoughts was, I wonder how long this is going to be on. And then I realized another voice in my brain was like, no, this this is a show in the same way that baseball is on. Darts or are football, on. football, yeah, yeah. The darts are on. And, and it uh, was saying it's amazing on three levels. One, that it's on TV at all. Amazing to us who are not accustomed to seeing it on TV. Two, uh, that it's as popular as it is there. And uh, three, what they can do. You know, I, I understand why it's on TV because it's pretty impressive uh, display of, of abilities. And and I compare this to the other sport that I was surprised and and slightly addicted uh, to watching while I was over there, which was uh, sheep herding. This is competitive sheep herding. The dogs, yeah, the, yeah, the border collie. I mean, have you ever watched it? No. So they got the you know the guy, and it's like Babe, right? You watched Babe. I've never seen Babe start to finish. I, I've you seen understand the of, concept, though. I yes, I get the concept of sheep herding. <laughs> Only as instead of having an animated pig or or whatever CGI pig, CGI pig, uh, it's real dogs, and they can they're amazing. What they can go on YouTube today and spend the rest look for of the some day competitive sheep competitive sheep herding. Is there and like you'll a, know why it's on TV? Is there yeah. a World Series? Is there like are there obstacles involved? What or is it just hey we're just going to keep upping the number of sheep? First, we're going to see if you can herd six sheep. Well, you got to herd them somewhere, right? Yeah, you got to like around things and into things, and, and yeah, and and they're all the dogs are being controlled by by whistles and tweets and things, and nowhere to go, and how to look sheep in the eye, and and make them move to where they need to go. This sounds a little bit like horse racing in the sense that. It's uh, yes, in horse racing, it's partly about the owner. It's all. It's but it mainly comes down to the trainer. Yes, there's the jockey, but it's it's. So I would think with sheep herding, it's okay. Well, who's who's training these dogs? Educate, educate Chris Hill on this matter. <laughs> Listeners who know something about sheep herding, is it the dog or is it the trainer? Is that what what we're asking? Just like we we ask about in business, is it the business or the CEO? Is it the horse or the jockey? Is it the dog or the trainer when and, it comes to sheep herding? And I suppose we'll actually get around to covering some of those topics today. Uh, let's get to the actual okay. business of business, and let's start with the story of the day, and that is from the airline industry. Uh, United Continental CEO Jeff Smizik or Smizik, get uh, it right. Uh, sorry. Um, and two other executives have stepped down effective immediately. This is the result of a federal investigation into United's relationship with David Sampson, who is the former chairman of the New York, New Jersey Port Authority. And what's being investigated, I guess, is 
uh, allegedly, United Continental set up a specific, what is referred to in the media as a, quote, money-losing route, plane route, from Newark, New Jersey, to Columbia, South Carolina, where apparently Sampson had a vacation home of some sort. And they set that up for him in exchange for what? Some sort of preferential treatment? Some sort of, we're, we're going to give you a regulatory thumbs up? Improvements to the uh, um, Newark airport, where Continental has a, a hub, a very important part of its business. And uh, I guess what it, it was going to come down to, perhaps, is was this a bribe or was this a shakedown? Um, and that will make all the difference, apparently. Uh, it's probably seems like allegedly what we're what we're talking about here is so Continental or had a route from Newark to Columbia. It wasn't justifying itself, and when it was taken away, uh, the this guy who had some uh, vast authority over uh, pocketbooks that would have helped the airport. Uh, said, yeah, you know, it'd be really great if you got that route back going that you that was a route that was good enough to be tried, right? Good enough to be tried, but proved but, to but lose money. To lose money. And, you know, I, I think I think we can all see what happened here. Uh, it, it'll take some investigation and everybody who is having their name smeared at the moment um, needs <laughs> deserves to have a proper investigation done before conclusions are reached but uh, you know it, it all looks very bad particularly for the guy who was responsible or who took the fall or both uh, for the Newark or sorry for the um, GW uh, bridge issues uh, under the Christie administration uh, yes Isaac's got a five million dollar Parachute that may or may not be coming his way. That's a that's a nice parachute. That's you the, can jump from a really high high level. Yeah, as parachutes go, that's a nice one. Um, so we'll see if he actually gets that five million dollars once the investigation is completed. Well, but, his lawyers are going to be getting some of it. Yes, they will. Absolutely. Yeah, the lawyers always win, don't they? <laughs> they're going to they're going to win on this one, is my guess. Yeah. So. On the one hand, I look at this stock, which has done quite nicely over the last few years. Certainly, lower fuel prices has been part of that story, not just for United Continental, but for airlines in general. And I think, okay, well, I'm uh, all things being equal, I'm going to give the CEO a decent amount of the credit for that. And yet, investors in general appear to be completely unfazed that he has resigned effective immediately, and that a new CEO has stepped into place, uh, Oscar Munoz, who was formerly the president and chief operating officer of CSX, the railroad. I don't know. I mean, it, it should it, it kind of seems like he's not getting any credit. Smizek, the departing CEO, because if because if if people thought, boy, this guy's great, we can't afford to lose him, then the stock would be, you know, yeah, I mean, well, it certainly wasn't all smizing. As you say, there were industry uh, tailwinds here. That said, United had outperformed as a stock over the last three years, over the last five years, not only over the S and P as as the airlines have, but over the airline group as well. So uh, he and and some of the other people at, at 
United deserves some credit for that, although they were coming back from a really low point. I mean, this was a one-something billion-dollar company, one-billion-dollar company back uh, at the end of 2008. I mean, that there are apps that are worth more than that, right? I mean, <laughs> yes, really. Uh, and now it's a $20 billion company, uh, even after the decline of the stock this year to the tune of about 14% so far. Uh, so, he had a very good run uh, at, at Continental uh, and United both did have a good run, but is still an airline which is has got issues. I mean, I know I was talking to somebody today and I was reflecting back on a very bad event that I had in, on an airline, and he just said, United? <laughs> I said, it, yeah, it was United. He said, yeah. And then he griped about his most recent bad experience on, on United. So, I mean, that's anecdotal. Um, I'm sure of the listeners, we can uh, gather uh, unpleasant experiences both from United and all other airlines. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, I don't want to put too much in that. But United is not well regarded in terms of customer satisfaction right now. So, while the company has come a long way since the, the depths of 2008, there there is work to be done still. So, you're saying Oscar Munoz, the new CEO, has a slightly easy act to follow. I think this, yes, I think he does. He's got a, a powerful brand there, but uh, there's problems there still on on time delivery and things like that. Dave and Buster's second quarter profits came in much higher than expected. Their revenue was better than expected. They raised guidance. Uh, for uh, for those unfamiliar, Dave and Buster's, uh, often referred to as Chuck E. Cheese for adults, is a restaurant chain. They've got a uh, chain. They've got about seventy five restaurants, and there are games there that you can play while eating food and drinking alcohol. And apparently, a lot of people were doing that in the last three months because their same store sales were up eleven percent. And I find that astonishing, mainly because. We're talking about the summer, and I would imagine that Dave and Buster's would have some level of seasonality to it, and that the summer quarter would not necessarily be a great one for them. Well, I think it points to good things for the general economy, right? Because this is extraordinarily discretionary spending, Dave and Buster's, right? <laughs> yes. I mean, it's 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 drinking, it's games, it's it's you're not. Uh, it is. Pursuit of an experience, a fairly easy to acquire experience. You don't have to go away on vacation, spend quite as much money, but you have a fun night out. And so, if it is doing as well as it is doing in the most recent quarter, that points to good things for people's ability to spend money. They're they're not in any one region. They're not only succeeding in in games, but in food, alcohol. So it's sort of widespread. This is a company that has that has been. Public and been taken private twice before, I think. At least once. At least once, and I think possibly twice. And uh, so they've come public uh, this year and are so far satisfying investors. They've had a very good run, uh, and today's quarter doesn't change that. Yeah, the stock opened at 16 less than a year ago. I think it was last October they went public, and it's up. Something like 135 percent in less than a year. Uh, it bears a striking resemblance from the stock perspective to Shake Shack, roughly the same market cap, 
roughly the same number of locations. And we've talked on this podcast about Shake Shack being overvalued, even when it's hovering around $50 a share, like it is right now, to say nothing of earlier this year when it was at $90 a share. When you look at Dave & Buster's, do you see a similarly overvalued stock? So, I reflect on something that I heard is on on TV, and somebody, an analyst, was saying that he didn't think the market was particularly overvalued. And this is going back maybe a, a month when this quote. So don't really attach today's prices uh, as part of that. And you say, ah, I don't really see the market as terribly overpriced, uh, with the exception of uh, biotech, social media, and you know maybe restaurants. And so biotech <laughs> and social media we think of as things where bubbles you might find bubbles and and. You can rattle off the names, certainly of social media companies, the biotech, a little less known on the name brands, but these are things that take you on wild rides. Restaurants, usually not so much. And I hadn't been thinking about restaurants, although I cover them and, and uh, for our funds, uh, as, as being in that category. But there are a lot of restaurants that are, as you point out, uh, raising eyebrows right now about, yeah, things are going okay. Uh, but do we want to pay this much for this thing? I mean, Dave and Buster's has been around for a long time. Shake Shack a little harder to know where the growth takes it, but Dave and Buster's can. It's not going to change that much. It, it, to get mentioned along with Shake Shack is a delight for them right now. I'm sure. Is alcohol maybe a positive differentiator in all circumstances? Right. <laughs> Is that what you were going to say? I was going to say, what's this got to do with anything for for Dave and Buster's? Because Shake Shack, for whatever you think of Shake Shack, they're not selling alcohol there. Dave and Buster's, as you said, the 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 risk is this is almost entirely a discretionary spending stock, and so when the economy turns for the worse, then it stands to reason Dave and Buster's business is going to take a little bit of a hit, if not maybe a larger hit. On the flip side, they're selling alcohol, and that's a high-margin thing that Shake Shack, or for that matter, no one—you know—none of the other burger places have. Um, no, although you know, something like Chipotle has got alcohol, Starbucks going into alcohol. Uh, yeah, there are great margins on selling alcohol, as as we all know. Every time we buy a drink, and say, I, you know, why am I spending this much in this restaurant for for alcohol? Uh, so it is a differentiator. Though a lot of their clientele is like birthday parties and things like that. You know, when you call it the Chuck E. Cheese for adults, it's not only adults who are there. It's there's a sizable kids business as well. Let's move on to the NFL because uh, the season kicks off Thursday evening, um, and let's talk about specifically the business of fantasy football because it is becoming. Big business uh, when you look at FanDuel and DraftKings, two separate companies that have each raised somewhere in the neighborhood of $80 million a piece through multiple funding rounds. Uh, Comcast has a stake in FanDuel. Uh, Disney, there were reports earlier this year that Disney had taken a stake in DraftKings. That appears not to be the case, although they do have an ad partnership where DraftKings is essentially the only. Company of its kind that is advertising on ESPN platforms, and I know anytime I listen to an ESPN podcast, I'm bombarded with DraftKings uh, ads. Uh, do you think 
we're going to see these spun off. Not maybe not spun off, but do you think we're going to see these as standalone public companies at some point? Yes, yes, that's what the investors in them right now are looking forward uh, forward to. I'm sure, and and so this goes to the point uh, I made earlier about an app being you know worth a billion dollars. In in the case of DraftKings, uh, it's it's valued at over a billion. Um, I don't know about FanDuel. I don't have that. In I think front Fan, of me. FanDuel's most recent round of funding, which was, uh, I believe, its fourth round, put its valuation at around nine hundred million dollars. So let's just round up and call that a billion. I've, all right, I've got a something that says that FanDuel's at a one point five billion dollar valuation from Fortune magazine back in April, uh, and and so that's. The size that uh, valuation that United had in in 2008. Granted, 2008 was a time of great and understandable pessimism about the airlines, uh, but it, it's an interesting thing to compare and contrast. That things we're sports fans and DraftKings and FanDuel have not encroached on our lives yet. We're seeing commercials for them. Uh, probably be. Things that our kids are more likely to adopt. I, I think we have other access to other uh, fantasy football uh, vehicles and things like that. ESPN being one of them. But there's a lot of money. There's a lot of money here. So the general growth that we've seen in specifically the NFL, from team revenue to television money to Involvement in fantasy football, and depending on which report you read, there's anywhere from 30 to 70 million people in America who are actively engaged in fantasy football, you and I being two of them. Um, you see this continuing for a few years to come. Yeah, I, I think that uh, it's very successful. It's understandable once you start playing fantasy football uh, at, at any level. It's understandable why it's as addictive for so many as it is, uh, why uh, there's a lot of money to be made on servicing 50 million people, call it, uh, in this country. Expanding that, there are other fantasy sports leagues uh, besides football. That's maybe the best-known one now, baseball having sort of been the the origin point for that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, all around the world soccer uh, it's it's there's a lot of money attached to selling people sports and this is one more way to do it well and i think the advantage that the nfl has or that these companies have with fantasy football as opposed to baseball or basketball is that there's a much smaller number of games. And so this is the type of thing that can bring in casual, much more casual fans. Certainly there are people, and that, and FanDuel, DraftKings, they are catering to much more hardcore, much more involved fans. But for people like you and I, who are just sort of like, yeah, I'm interested in football, and uh, but I, really just once a week, all I have to do once a week is adjust my lineup. Okay, fine, I can commit to that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the advantage that they have. Uh, they they have a lot of advantages. I think the they, the ability to create new and different games and time spans for people. You know, you get to a point if you're not our team where you're out of it. You know, sort of halfway through the season. That wouldn't happen to our team. Not this year. Not this year. No way. Not with the team we just drafted no. last night. Uh, but for 
less fortunate people uh, <laughs> <laughs> who still want that buzz uh, from having an investment in every game all the time. You can always, you know, enter some weekly thing uh, over at, at DraftKings. I think so. Longtime listeners of this podcast may remember that just about a year ago, our team, which for a couple of years had the name "God Cannot Protect You," was what did we start last year? One and five. We just we were we had a terrible it was a slow start. It was, it was a slow start. Are you expecting our listeners to remember these details? I, I, yeah, I that think it was like one sad, and f- wouldn't it? It would be. We it, can't remember them. It was one. I think it was one and five. We changed the Nobody name. Nobody believed in us. Nobody believed in us. And we had that going for us. That was probably the only thing we had, was that nobody believed in us. We changed the name of our team to Omar Cummin, named after the great character in The Wire, Omar Little. And all you have to do is go on YouTube and just type in Omar Cummin, and, and, and you'll understand why we changed the just name. Just how threatening an idea it is. <laughs> yes. And I'm not saying that's the reason we won the next six games in a row, but we probably, but we did win six in a row. Correlation in the is not always causation, but in this case, you, there's no evidence to the contrary. This year, we've got Peyton Manning as our quarterback. We've got Demarco Murray from your own Philadelphia Eagles as one of our running backs. Des Bryant from the Dallas Cowboys as one of our receivers. We've got Julian Edelman from the New England Patriots. We've we've just got a cornucopia of talent. <laughs> And I hope someone um, shoves. We this. hope somebody out there cares. I, I was going to say, I hope someone shoves this in my already. face <laughs> three months from now when our team is doing terribly. Um, thanks for being here. Thank you. You can read more from Bill Barker and his colleagues. Just go to foolfunds.com and check out Declarations, which is the free monthly newsletter from Bill and his colleagues, foolfunds.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.